We're going to read this morning from Proverbs 12. If you have your Bibles, it'll be near the middle of your copy of Scripture, Proverbs 12, and we're only going to read one verse to get us started, and that's verse 22 in Proverbs 12. It's a lot of power uh, packed into one verse. Proverbs 12:22. The Lord detests the Lord detests lying lips. But he delights in people who are trustworthy. He is happy, he's thrilled, he delights in people who are trustworthy. This morning, we're going to talk about honesty. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about worry, and we're going to talk about, we may even talk about being quarantined in the next couple of weeks. But today, we're going to talk about that which we had already planned, and that's honesty. There is um, a new gadget. Well, it's a few years old now, but it's called Truster, the Truster. It's a, it's a a gadget that you can hook up to your phone so that if somebody calls you, it, it tests what's called uh, vocal tension. So it tests the tension in their voice to determine whether or not they are being honest. So when they speak, one of these five words will come up, true, inaccurate, slightly accurate, subject not sure, or false. So when you drop your car off at the shop and the mechanic calls and says, ma'am, you need a new engine. You could look down and say, oh, well, I do or, or I don't. Or if you're a boss and the employee calls and says, um, I'm, I'm homesick with the coronavirus, you could look down and see if he's at the golf course or maybe he really is, uh, he really is sick. Skeptics are real skeptical about that, but uh, these folks promise 85% accuracy. If we, if we really, if we had that hooked up, we might not, we might not like what we find. Billy Joel sang, honesty is such a lonely word, everyone is so untrue. The book of Jeremiah says uh, there's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. Honesty is, is, it seems to me in our classrooms, in our boardrooms, in our living rooms, over the fence, uh, over the phone, and over the internet, that honesty really is hard uh, to find. But what if the people of God were to decide to be honest? Let's look at what the Bible says about honesty. We'll start with all the wonderful rewards of complete and utter honesty. Number one, God will be delighted. That was our text this morning. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are truthful. God beams with a parental-like pride when we are honest. Second, your reputation will sparkle. God will be delighted. Your reputation will sparkle. In 2 Kings 12, there's a wonderful story. It is the story, and I'm not kidding. It's the story of the first capital stewardship campaign. It was for the temple. If I'm getting my dates right, it had been a hundred years, and they had not renovated their children's area in a hundred years. I'm making that up, but they really did. It was in need of, of repair. It was in disrepair. And so King Joash, in those days, the king was, of course, closely aligned with the temple. And so King Joash came up with a plan. And so the high priest and the king's secretary, today we would call him the, secre the, the, the um, chief of staff, 
He put them in charge of the capital stewardship campaign, and people brought their money for the renovation of the temple. And the, the high priest and the king's chief of staff were in charge of, of distributing that money, and they established a we would call them a building committee. These were people who were in charge of two things, of hiring the workers and, and pay, buying the materials. So they hired and paid the, the stonemasons and the carpenters, and they, they paid for all the materials needed. And in, in verse, verse 7, excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 12 says, they did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave the money to pay the workers because they, the building committee, if you will, acted in complete honesty. So the building committee could go to looters or you know, they could go to Harrison Brothers and they could buy whatever they needed. They could pay the, the workers and, and no account, no receipts, no receipts were necessary. Now, I understand we're in a different day, and I understand the accounting necessary for our present world of business, but wouldn't it be wonderful if people said of Christians, of followers of Jesus, you know, if you give them money to spend, you don't need a receipt, because Christians, you can always count on Christians to be completely honest. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, which means Christians ought never to have to say, I promise, or I swear it's true, or cross my heart and hope to die and stick a needle in my eye. We should never have to say that. We ought to be such pe people of such integrity that our reputation sparkles that people say, of those Christians, you don't need an accounting because they are always honest. God will be delighted. Your reputation will sparkle and you will rest Proverbs 10, verse 9, and the message reads, honesty lives confident and carefree, carefree. So be honest. If you're a person of integrity, you can lie down at night and sleep. You don't have to worry about having tangled, you know, woven any tangled webs. You can just rest. Did you hear, these are, this is tax season. Did you, hear, did you hear about the guy that wrote the following to the IRS? I haven't been able to sleep. Because last year in filling out my income tax form, I deliberately misrepresented my income. Enclosed is a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> if you are a person of integrity, if you're honest, you can, you can rest well. God will be delighted. Your reputation will sparkle. You will rest. And fourth, your children and grandchildren will learn integrity. They will learn honesty. They will have in you great role models. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous man or person leads a blameless, or the other translation is honest life. Blessed are their children. Blessed are the children of the honest people. Blessed are the children after them. When our kids were small, elementary and middle school age, I went to get gas once at a place where if you got gas, you could get a free car wash. I can't remember if it was free or if I paid a little bit for it. But anyway, I, when my receipt came out, the code, you've done this, the code was on there. And I pulled around to the car wash adjacent to the gas station and there was a long line. So I decided not to wait. My kids were waiting on me to pick them up at the swimming pool. So I went to the pool, picked them up and I came back and I thought I'd pull a little trick on them. I said, uh, you know, I wonder if I pulled through that car wash, if Maybe I could trick the car wash and get a 
get a free one. Well, they look like, Dad, would you, would you do that? I said, oh, yeah, it won't matter. You know, they got plenty of money. And so they didn't know I had that receipt down there. So I pulled up to the little thing where you type in the code. And I, I'm looking down here. And it said, you know, pull forward. My kids were astounded. But the look in their eyes was such that I had to quickly tell them, hey, guys, here's the, and I said, here's the receipt. I, I didn't trick the car wash. When all is said and done, I, I, I will look back and my kids will look back and they will say, you know, Dad, Dad wasn't perfect. But I want them to say that I was a person of integrity. When the last chapter of my life is written, I want my kids to say he was honest. If we will be people of integrity, if we'll be honest, God will be delighted. Our reputations will sparkle. We can rest at night, and our children will be blessed with a good role model. But now let's look at the flip side of that. What are the disasters? What are the, what are the downsides, the curses, if you will, of, of a dishonest life? Number one, and it's the exact flip side of those four. Number one, God will be nauseated. Proverbs 6 says there are seven things that God detests. Get that word, detests. Two of them are a false witness that speaks lies and a lying tongue. Dishonesty. So God gives us our top, the top seven things that he detests. Two out of the top seven have to do with Honesty. God beams with a parental-like parental pride when we are honest, but he seethes with a justifiable divine anger when we are dishonest. What are the catastrophes that come from dishonesty? One, God is nauseated. Two, our reputations suffer. Patrick Morley has written to Christian men, and he talks about one day when he went to the home of a coworker. To drop off some papers, and he went to the study of his co the home study of his coworker, and he saw there um, a notepad, this fancy notepad that had the company logo on it. Well, Patrick Morley knew that the the clear rules of the office were you don't use any of this office stuff for personal use. But this guy had taken this real nice notepad home, obviously using it for his personal stuff. Patrick Morley said, "I, I could never." completely trust him after that. That was, a, he said, an expensive notepad because he lost a, a, a little bit of my trust. So can't, trust. So can't you imagine that in, in meetings after that, when that man said something, Patrick Morley was wondering, is he really being honest? And when we lose people's trust, it is very hard and takes a long time to regain that. When we, when we are dishonest even in small things, God is nauseated, our, our reputations suffer, and, and three, we can't rest. For the Spirit of God has come to live in the heart of the follower of Jesus at the moment of our new birth, and, and he never lets us rest when there's this underlying dishonesty. The little boy emptied his pockets of change and laid them on the table where the lady sat who was taking up money for tickets to the show. She asked the little boy, the, the ticket lady said, uh, how many tickets do you want? He said, um, I, I don't need any tickets. I saw the show yesterday. 
She was confused. He said, my brother and I got here for the show and there was nobody here to take up money. So he said, uh, we, we walked on in. So we saw the show yesterday. I'm paying today. Well, she was so impressed with that little boy that she said, hey, listen, keep your money. Don't worry about it. Nobody will know the difference. The little boy said, I will know the difference. She thought, you're right. She gathered his money, counted it. It was just enough for two tickets. She thanked him, and he smiled and walked away. Little boy wiser than some of us because he knew he never would, he never would be able to forget that. He would always know. It's like a virus on our computers. We don't know that it's there until it starts acting up. You know, it runs slow or these pop-ups and we wonder what's going on. But in the spirit, in the heart of the believer or the one who's been born into the family of God, the spirit of God lives and, and we're always a bit restless when there's this unconfessed uh, dishonesty. The flip side of the benefits of being honest is God will be God has nauseated, our, our, our reputation suffers. We, we never will rest, and our children learn. Our children and our grandchildren learn dishonesty. What are we teaching our kids when we, when we bribe and cheat and lie so that our kids can get into these elite colleges? Oh, but that's the Hollywood folks. Let's not worry about the Hollywood folks. Let's worry about us. So what are we teaching our kids when, you know, we're... We're lined up at the movie theater, and um, our son is 13, and, and Dad says, because, you know, 13 and up have to pay full price, and so when Dad says, hey, tell them you're 12, we'll get in cheaper. What are we teaching our kids? When we, when we all but do their homework, the paper, the school paper, and then we send them off to school, and we say, hey, tell your teacher that you did it. It'll be okay. What are we teaching our kids? And here's a pet peeve of mine, and I've heard it a couple of times. I've been, you know, I've been refereeing football for a long time, a couple of times, and, and, and Little League, it gets less and less fun to do, and it ain't because of the kids. A couple of times I've walked by, little Johnny's team has gotten beat by a better team, and I walk by, and I overhear mom and dad's because they want Johnny to feel like a winner, don't they? So they say, Johnny, your team didn't lose. Those referees lost it for you. You know, what are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching them to be honestly responsible for the fact that sometimes things don't work out like we want them to? Or are we teaching them to dishonestly pass off responsibility? God will be nauseated. Our reputation will struggle. We won't, our spirit won't rest. And our kids and grandkids will look up at us and, and learn from us dishonesty so what if we were to, to decide today to go back and and make up for some of our dishonesties Zacchaeus did remember he'd been the the dishonest tax collector he had some flexibility under the Roman laws, he had to co collect Roman taxes, but then above that, he could collect tax that taxes or monies that he would keep for himself. And then he met Jesus. It transformed his life. And what did he do? Immediately, he said, I'm going to pay back those people I have cheated with interest. Now, that had to be embarrassing. It had to be hard. It had to be humiliating. 
But he went back and made right his dishonesties. 25 years ago, I was the interim preacher down at First Baptist Church of Andalusia. A man in that church named Terry Powell befriended me. And I don't remember how we got off on this, but we were talking one night about our families, and my kids were really small then. And I confessed to Terry Powell something. I said, you know, I don't always answer my kids as patiently and as kindly as I should. And Terry Powell said, you know, confession is no good unless you're willing to do something about it. Now, he wasn't being mean to me. He was my friend. I'll bet. I don't remember, but I bet he smiled when he said that. But he said, confession, and he's right. Oh, 25 years ago, and I still remember that. Confession is no good unless we're willing to do something about it. If, for me to say to Terry, you know, I ought to do better with my kids, does no good unless I'm willing to go home and be a different dad. So what if we were to determined today to go back and make right our dishonesties. I decided to tell you a story. Three weeks ago, by the way, um, Carrie and I made a quick trip to Richmond, Virginia, where I officiated at a wedding ceremony of uh, the daughter of good friends of ours. And um, before I went, I had to call the courthouse in Chesterfield County to make sure I was still registered. Because in Virginia, you have to be registered at a county courthouse in order to perform wedding ceremonies. So I had to call, and, and this was the county where we had lived. So I called, and I explained, you know, I used to live there, and I was registered there. I'm, I live in Alabama now. And um, she looked up, and she said, yeah, we've still got you on file. You're, you're good. But that reminded me of a story that I told you when I was the interim preacher and you didn't fire me then, and I'm hoping you don't fire me now, because this was not my finest hour. So I moved in 2002 to be the pastor of the Bonaire Baptist Church in Richmond. And Norman Burns, a good friend in the church who was a retired minister, retired missionary with the International Mission Board, he, um, he was kind of orienting me, and he said, now you need to go to the Chesterfield County Courthouse and... Um, you need to get registered. And either he told me or I called and found out, somehow I knew I needed two documents to be registered with Chesterfield County. One, I needed a letter from the church stating that I was a minister there. And two, I needed an ordination, my ordination certificate. Well, therein lay a problem. I had not seen my ordination certificate I couldn't remember the last time. I assumed it had gotten lost in one of our moves. I had no proof of my ordination. So I made me one. My administrative assistant helped me. She was an accomplice. <laughs> we, you know, you can do just about anything on the, on the computer and so we made this wonderful, oh, it was beautiful, calligraphy, you know, certificate of ordination. And I really am ordained, by the way. It was at Golden Springs Baptist Church. I knew the month and the year. I, I've forgotten how I figured out the exact date. 
But we had the, the month and the year on there and, and even the names of people I could remember on the ordination council. And this week, when I was thinking about telling you this story, it re, I remembered that Harold Chandler, who's a member of our church, was on that ordination council. Then he lived in Anniston. And so, Harold, if you're watching, man, I'm really sorry, but I put your name on that uh, ordination certificate. And um, printed it on parchment paper, zzz, Man, it looked good. It looked real. So I drove to the Chesterfield County Courthouse, and I presented my letter of employment and my uh, phony ordination certificate. And um, she said, raise your right hand. I thought, uh-oh. And she said, uh, I solemnly swear that these, and I'm, I'm doing this quick thinking in my head. I thought, if she says authentic, I'm going to put my hand down and I'm going to say no, but she didn't say authentic. She said, do you solemnly swear that these documents are true? Yes, yes, I do. Because I thought technically, now any sentence that begins with technically is probably not true, but I said technically they are true. But I went back and started working on my sermon and and my spirit was restless. I found out, and I don't remember how I found out, but I found out that my license, my certificate of license, and in the Baptist world, licensing is kind of a prerequisite to ordination. I had that. I found out that would work. So I went back to the Chesterfield County Courthouse. I said to the lady, hey, look, here, I, I confessed all that I'd done. She held up the letter from the church. She said, you really are a minister at this church, are you? I said, yeah, I promise I am. That was humiliating. It was embarrassing. But I wonder if some of us need to go back and make right our dishonesties. Remember, confession is no good unless we're willing to do something about it. What if today we were to decide as followers of Jesus by, his, by the strength and the help and the grace of Almighty God, we will be honest we won't hedge the truth, we won't fudge the truth, we won't dance around the truth or stretch the truth, but we will, even when it hurts, we will be courageously honest. God would be delighted, our reputations will sparkle, we will rest well, and our grandchildren and children will call us blessed because they would have seen in us people of integrity. Let's, it's, real, it's real simple. Let's just be honest. Hymn number 509 is the hymn that we're going to sing, and we invite you to, to come to be part of our church family, to make public your profession of faith in Jesus, to talk about baptism, to go public maybe for the first time. We'd love to talk with you about that. 509 is our hymn, and we're going to stand so that you may come. Let's stand, please.